a Quinn Martin production in color. Tonight's episode, Sing a Song of Murder. Hey, diddle diddle, the cat and the murder. Special guest star, Tony Franciosa. Act one, an unusual delivery. (laughs) The Incomparable, number 181, February 2014. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and uh, I'd like to introduce uh, my panel. We're going to be discussing something, uh, not a particular work, more like a trend, a little bit about casting, a little bit about franchises. Um, a little departure for us. I think it will be fun, but I've been wrong before. So let's try it and see what happens. Andy Anatko joins me for this uh, adventure down a strange path. Hi, Andy. Hi, Jason. How are you doing today? Hi. It's good to, good to have you here. Jason Brightman is here. Not this is not a comic book club episode, but and it has Yet been a here little, I am. It's been a little while, but you're back, and it's great to have you here. I'm back. It's great to be here. Thanks. Erica Ensign also joins us on our adventure. Hello. Hello. David Laura also joins us. Hello there. The other day, um, I read a news story about how um, Disney and Paramount and uh, Lucasfilm, which is owned by Disney now. came to an arrangement for the disposition of the Indiana Jones franchise. And most specifically, um, the first four, or as we like to call it, three uh, movies in the Indiana Jones series. (laughs) Why would we call it four? I don't understand, Jason. That's a strange joke. It doesn't make any sense. There are only three Indiana Jones movies. So they uh, remain in the possession of Paramount. Um, and of course, Lucasfilm has its existing relationship there and they share the profits and whatever that is. So future Blu-ray sales and downloads and whatever for the end of time will be shared. But new movies, the question was new movies in the Indiana Jones series. If ever there would be some, who would do them and what would the deal be? And so as a part of this deal, what terms undisclosed, Disney can now make Indiana Jones movies and that franchise can move forward. And Steven Spielberg and George Lucas occasionally talk about doing another Indiana Jones movie. Um, and it struck me that Harrison Ford, not a spring chicken, he is, as my notes say, getting very old. He's, he's you know, he looks great, but he's getting up there. Time, time happens to everybody. And um, I thought to myself, you know, inevitably they will cast a new Indiana Jones at some point. And that led me down this interesting rabbit hole, which is... Um, I, you can be the judge about where this rabbit hole is interesting. I can tell you that there's been a rabbit down here. It's it's what happens when a character goes from being uh, attached singularly to uh, to an actor. The character is the actor, um, and that's just how it is. And that moment where it becomes something different. Now, this, this happens all the time in, let's say, the theater, where you've got different actors playing the role in different productions uh you know shakespeare's famous parts there's no one definitive romeo or juliet or king lear or or any you know any character you can name because that that part has been played there may be ones that we like better a hamlet that we like better or worse but many actors play those parts but indiana jones has only ever been well at least as an adult i know the young indiana jones let's not go there um (laughs) it's it's harrison ford he is the main Indiana Jones. Uh, this was true with all the Star Trek characters from the original Star Trek until J.J. Abrams' reboot brought in a new crew led by Chris Pine as James T. Kirk instead of William Shatner. It, it's also the moment in Doctor Who when they decided that Doctor Who wasn't always going to be a show starring 
uh, William Hartnell, but that they were as detailed in in the uh, excellent uh, TV movie An Adventure in Space and Time, the moment where they said, we're going to get somebody else to play this part and he's going to transform and become Patrick Troughton. Um, James Bond, another good example. So I thought that's what we would talk about a little bit, uh, you know, uh, worth worth an hour to check, talk about the pitfalls of making that transition, you know, maybe what we would hope to see in the future of, uh, you know, some franchises. Do we, do we like this idea? There have been four, I think, four Jack Ryans now on the movie screen. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it started with Alec Baldwin. We thought, okay, he's going to be with us a long time. And then that was one movie and out. Um, and about casting in general, you know, when when is a part so uh, iconic that it should never be touched? Is there Could, could there ever be such a thing? Um, you know, so casting and franchises and when franchises decide to move on and and move to a different actor. This is what this is what prompted me to have this conversation. And now that I've uh, kind of d- done my little brain dump of what I wanted to talk about, I guess I should throw it out there to you guys. You know, Erica, let's start with you. I know that you and I um, definitely share a, a great affinity for Doctor Who. That was certainly one of the first things I thought. I thought about if if they the producers of that show had decided that it, William Hartnell was the only person who could play the Doctor, this show would be essentially a footnote about one of the, like like Quatermass. It would be this kind of quaint black and white uh, show on the BBC in the '60s that nobody remembers anymore. I really, I mean, more or less, that's what and it has would be. mostly disappeared. <laughs> because yeah, so that, many Hartnell episodes are just gone. Yeah, and would ha- would more of them have even survived? Would it even have been as as uh, distributed internationally if they had only had those first two or three seasons? No, probably not. And I think, I mean, in in addition to longevity, which certainly being able to change actors gives you that, uh, I think a, a lot of people have argued that the show Doctor Who became what it was the day that Patrick Troughton took over and not because he was great, although he was definitely great, uh, but just because that added that entirely new facet to the show and took it in a, a different direction for the first time ever. I think it was an incredibly bold move and I'm, it could have turned out terribly and people could have, could have rebelled and stopped watching the show and they didn't, um, which you asked a question a minute ago, uh, are there any parts that are so iconic that you just should never, ever try to recast them? And personally, I feel that there's, there's no such thing. I think it's always worth a try most of the time it's probably not going to work um especially like remakes um say willy wonk on the chocolate factory i i was not a fan of that remake because i thought that part was was perfectly played by gene wilder but sometimes it works out really well like in the doctor who case yeah and it it ends up defining the show and that show is I, Mm -hmm. i feel like that moment when they when they cast Patrick Troughton to replace William Hartnell is the moment that the show went on its path that would end up meaning that it survived for 50 years. And if, you know, not just, not just that there's no way that you could have a show with one actor for 50 years, <laughs> but that it, 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 it changed uh, how we thought of that character and, and how they defined that, that, that show. So it could renew its itself. David, you are, uh, in addition to writing crazy radio dramas for us and appearing on almost every panel that, Dan Morin doesn't appear on. You write plays. And so I, I'm interested in your perspective on this from the theater side, because obviously in the theater, you know, th- th- this isn't, parts aren't aren't sacred, right? It's not a, it, it, it's only in movies and TV where we really see like, oh no, I can't believe anybody else would be Indiana Jones other than Harrison Ford. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, we're used to understudies. You know, if somebody gets sick, someone else is going to step into that role. And you'll find a little slip in your, your Playbill program that says, the role of so-and-so will be played at this performance by blank. 
And, uh, you know, even even roles that are iconic, I mean, I don't know, like uh, uh, Hello, Dolly. You know, you think of Carol Channing. You might think of Pearl Bailey or Ethel Merman. That hasn't stopped hundreds and thousands of groups from putting the show on, you know. Um, you always have that souvenir of, say, the original cast recording for a musical, but that's that's how you learn the songs when you're going to do it in high school. I was um, thinking about an iconic uh, uh, stage stage character or set of characters, and I, I gave myself a laugh through my own stupidity, as I so often do, when I thought, well, you know, I, I'm really proud of the fact that I, I, w- I was very lucky to see... Uh, the original cast of the producers on Broadway. So I got to see mm. Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, which is great, except, of course, that the original characters were Zero <laughs> Mostel and Gene Wilder. And they That's were... right. <laughs> so... <laughs> they made it their own. You know, you, you you forgot all about the movie at least halfway through the show. You know, um, at least in that production. I don't know about other, other casts. But... Um, I mean, yeah, I remember when they were previewing it and Nathan Lane went on, uh, I guess it was David Letterman, and they did the opening song, basically. And up until that point, I'd I'd been kind of, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. And then they do the number, and I think it was, you know, five minutes long. And at the end of this, it's, you know, 1230 at night. I'm going, yes, I want to see that now. Um, (laughs) So, and I love the movie. Right, but there was no, no, no sense of sacrilege happening there. No, no, not at all. It's it's sort of like, you know, you can ask people who was the first actor to play James Bond. Nine out of ten people are going to go, oh, Sean Connery. Um, it was a guy named Barry Nelson in 1955, 1956. They did a one-hour version of Casino Royale for a CBS show called Climax. It's awful. <laughs> um, he, play, he plays him as an American Jimmy Bond. We, we think of James Bond, and he's the closest thing we have to a Time Lord who is not a Time Lord. You know, and even people now saying, I want to see Idris Elba as James Bond. Well, why not? Yeah, although the, the Jimmy Bond thing, I mean, that, I, I think some of this is not, is not about who, who goes who goes uh, first as much as, as uh, who everybody meets in a part. I think there's something right. about that. I mean, Connery, right. that, that is, uh, it was on my list for sure. The idea that, that Connery left, he left twice. Mm-hmm. You only leave twice. <laughs> and they, you know, Connery <laughs> left, and they replaced him with George Lazenby. But, but that moment when Connery left, I mean, there is there is also one of the issues here is will audience acceptance. I mean, will the audience right. accept somebody other than Sean Connery in a major motion picture as James Bond? Will they accept George Lazenby? Maybe not. Although I, I think history, uh, a lot of people now look back at that movie and say it's actually not a bad movie, and he's he's fine. Um, or you know, when when Roger Moore. You, who is another larger than life figure replaces Sean Connery. Will people accept that? Will, you know, will people accept yeah. uh, Zachary Quinto as Spock, right? Will, will people accept somebody as the second person in the, in the part? And then, you know, Indiana Jones again, and to come back to that, will people accept some, you know, modern 35 year old actor getting cast as Indiana Jones in a movie? Yeah. What's well, like back in the fifties uh, when the Lone Ranger was, you know, a popular show on television and um, supposedly Clayton Moore asked for a raise because, well, it's a popular show. And they said, nah, anyone can put on the mask. So for one year in the middle of that run, the Lone Ranger is played by an actor named John Hart. And the audience revolted. And one year later, boom, there's Clayton Moore oh. and he got his raise. 
Um, and, and you think he's wearing a hat and a mask the whole time. What's the difference? But there's just something in the way he played it. I don't know. There's definitely a difference. I mean, I, I'm just thinking of Babylon 5 when uh, Natoth, a Narn character who is under so much makeup you can barely tell who's who, uh, they changed mm. actresses for uh, one season, I think it was. Yeah. And yeah, I was displeased. Yeah, you could tell. I'm mean, not the same person. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, she was fine, but just I, it wasn't the Natoth I'd come to know and love. <laughs> uh, Andy, what do you think about this subject? Well, we we talk about a whole bunch of different circumstances here. You have uh, I, I also had uh, Hello Dolly, although I was I had the more the more glaring difference between Ms. D- the Divine Ms. Ch- Carol Channing and Barbara Streisand, who was oh, a yes. high wattage Broadway superpower even at the time. So I can understand why that deal was struck. But what a damn shame that Carol Channing's performance was not recorded for posterity. Although perhaps given how bad that movie was, it was okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, you have, you have, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but getting, getting back on track. There are lots of, it's uh, on the stage. There's, there's a tradition that here, here is the, here is the script for the play. Here's the music for the play. We're going to cast and we're going to mount various productions. So that's kind of goes, goes par for the course. And then there are also times when uh, a character just fails to launch with the original casting uh, yeah, you, we brought up, uh, of course, James Bond, but also uh, Peter Sellers wasn't the first person to play Clouseau. That was actually Alan Arkin. Uh, who who else could play uh, Lieutenant Columbo but Peter Falk? But there was an actor by, by the name of Bert Freed who played the uh, uh, Columbo in the original pilot. And you could certainly say that those characters and those actors proved that these characters weren't really great in and of themselves. They required exactly the right actor to bring them to life. Um, but it's a different thing when you start talking about you have an established character like uh, like Indiana Jones. I almost said Harrison Ford uh, because uh-huh. it's oh, it's Harrison impossible. Harrison Ford to... will now be played right, by right, exactly. Chris Pine <laughs> I'll see, in we'll, the Harrison we'll, we'll, Ford story. You'll, you'll get Chris Pine. You'll put on you'll put on press the prosthetics to make him look like Harrison Ford, and then put prosthetics on top of that to make it look like Harrison Ford wearing makeup. <laughs> I think Chris Pine should play every part. So that it gets it gets expensive. It gets it gets complicated. Right, every part now. It's, Chris it's, Pine. It's, <laughs> it's hard to contemplate, though, because uh, on the one hand, we, we, we want to say that, but these Indiana Jones movies are fine. They're perfect. They're great. There's really no need to start them all over again, uh, if not for, the, if not for the, the necessity of Hollywood to say that we need to reboot the franchise. We need to start creating new movies. We can't, uh, we, we can't just simply rely on the equity that we've been built on of these, uh, these four movies that we can keep selling forever and ever and ever. And the thing is, they're not going to cast a 35-year-old actor. They're going to cast a 23, 24, 25-year-old actor. And it's probably not going to be somebody who starts off with so, that, that brings so much to the bank as Harrison Ford did. Remember that by the time that he, he was, he was, the, he was uh, the guy we knew from Star Wars. It was, it was Han Solo in the 30s as an archaeologist. And he brought that with him from frame one of that movie. And you can't imagine even someone... 35 years old to a 35 year old actor today who could jump into that role and instantly kickstart it that way you certainly can't imagine a 25 year old actor doing that uh particularly given that they have to from frame one they have to make us forget about harrison ford and it's it's i know this is how hollywood works but you're kind of frustrated by that 
Um, the, I mean, the last, I, I, I just like, I think everybody else, they came, came up with their list of, you know, <laughs> trying trying to say someone is going to be the first to say Darren Stevens. So I can't say yes. Darren Stevens, but <laughs> I, I found as I was writing up this list, I can, I, 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 I was surprised to find myself writing down Charlie Brown that sort of proves two sides of this, uh, of this coin that of, uh, it was very radical when they, uh, in the in the sixties, when they cast actual children in the voice of, of, uh, the penis characters for the first, uh, TV commercial and then the, then the first special. And as they age out of the role, they would hire new uh, children to play those roles. So you don't have the consistency that you would have, uh, like of, uh, of a Bart Simpson. Uh, so, but that's kind of okay because you know you understand that that's that's how they do the do the character. However, now that we know that they're working on a new ver a new Peanuts movie that is going to be done in three D, and to me, this is almost exactly like recasting the character because I mean the you even in traditional 2D animation, you could not get animation that was flatter than the animation you'd have in the Peanuts specials and in the Peanuts movies. I mean, it really is like looking at Flatland. You had characters that couldn't even, they, they, Bill Melendez would, was talking about how, how hard it was the first time they had to animate Charlie Brown and Snoopy because these characters had never been designed to do something as simple as touch the top of their heads. They're so <laughs> flat. And so now they have to sort of recast them and try to figure out how does this work in 3D? How does this, not only does it work in three dimensions, but how does it work in something approximating natural lighting where they finally have to, they finally have to answer the question of what does Charlie Brown's head really look like? Is he bald or does he have just like light blonde hair that's like, that's so short that it, it gets drawn as just a few wisps of hair. And so it's, it's just part of the, it, what it gets down to in all these cases is the user interface between the, the viewer and the movie itself. That if a character is so closely matched in people's heads to Harrison Ford or to the way we, we see Charlie Brown all the time, it's just going to be such a failure of user interface. We will not be able to get into this movie because we're going to say, Shia LaBeouf is not Indiana Jones. I don't see any. I don't see him. I don't see him getting out of a problem of not being able to open a carton of milk, let alone being chased <laughs> through a temple by a giant rolling stone ball. That's that's the problem we're all facing. He goes into the big uh, the big cavern, and there's a there, uh, sitting on the pedestal is the uh, is a carton of milk, and he's like, oh, "Forget it, guys. We gotta go." <laughs> Why do they make these so hard? To, oh, oop, okay, gonna bend it, then you pull. Damn. So, so Andy's. Uh, I'm gonna just gonna subtitle this uh, this episode when uh, they ruin everything. Everything is everything is ruined. <laughs> well, no. See, let, let me just let, let me just postscript that that it's 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 always worth trying. Because because there's if if it's horrible, the original movie is still there. I mean, I I, I agree with you that I that the uh, the remake of, uh, of Willy Wonka absolutely did nothing for me. But that it didn't affect the fact that there's still the Gene Wilder version that's still perfect, and there's always a chance that it'll be very very good. So you, you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta accept that just because you know. Are the new generation Spock might not be the same as the Spock we grew up with. It's per, it's a perfectly valid Spock. It's a perfectly sturdy Doctor. It's a perfectly okay, you know. It's it's fine. It's fine. It'll work. All right, time to take a break and talk about one of our sponsors. It's Pro Flowers, and this is the perfect time as I record this. We are uh, less than a week away from Valentine's Day, and I know you know sometimes. Some of us are not used to shopping for flowers. It's not something we do every day. I certainly don't do it. 
um, something I do often is buy things on the internet. And one of the great things about proflowers.com is it's got a web shopping experience. You buy the flowers online, you click, and they're shipped to where you want them to go, and they show up. And you open the box, and there are beautiful flowers inside. They're in great shape. Uh, my wife and I got a box of flowers from the good people at proflowers.com. They're beautiful. They came in their own vase. They are still looking great a week later. Just a fantastic experience all the way around. So if you're comfortable ordering things on the Internet, and, you know, it's the time of year like it may be right now where you might want to be get, where you might want to be getting flowers for someone you love, proflowers.com. Dot com is the place to go. Here's the deal. One dozen roses. A dozen assorted roses with a free glass vase for $19.99. Or you can double the roses and get two dozen roses with a premium vase for $9.99 more. It's quick, easy, and delivery on Valentine's Day is absolutely guaranteed. And Pro Flowers are guaranteed to last Seven days or you get your money back. We've had these flowers for a week and they're beautiful. So can you order flowers on the internet and have them shipped to your door and have them be great? Yes, you can. I've seen it happen. Proflowers.com. This is what they do. So here's the way to get this Valentine's Day deal. A dozen roses with a free glass vase for $19.99 or upgrade to two dozen assorted roses with a premium vase for just $9.99 more. Here's where you go. Proflowers.com. Click the blue microphone in the upper right-hand corner and type in the word incomparable. That's it. Proflowers.com. Click on the microphone, type in incomparable, and you'll get this deal. Order now. Holidays may be arriving that you need to order flowers for someone you love. Do it at proflowers.com. And thanks to proflowers.com for sponsoring the incomparable and sending me those beautiful flowers that are still beautiful in my house right now. I mean, I think well, I mentioned Shakespeare earlier. I mean, that was that was the pitch that J.J. Abrams, I know, took to the actors when he was trying to cast them in the in the Star Trek uh, relaunch. He said, look, uh, don't don't do a William Shatner impression. Oh, God, don't do that. <laughs> do, you know, consider consider all those, uh, you know, classic uh, Shakespeare characters that everybody brings their own interpretation of the part, you know, interpret Captain Kirk, interpret Mr. Spock. Don't do an impression and although there are a few moments in J.J. Abrams first Star Trek movie where there are some uh, I think intentional impressions um, Carl Urban does a DeForest Kelly in a couple of parts that's great and it's <laughs> oh, not yeah. lengthy it's brief but it's it's a good scowl and comment he, and it's, he, he was cast for his eyes for his yeah, eyebrows yeah exactly. you need to have articulated eyebrows to be McCoy after that, do whatever you want. <laughs> Just inhabit, inhabit, think of the character. Don't think of the actor. Think of the character and try to be true as an actor to this to this character. Now, you know, Indiana Jones, um, I, I, I wasn't even suggesting that they would remake Raiders of the Lost Ark. God, that terrifies me. But just the idea that they'd make new Indiana Jones movies and say, hey, this is Indiana Jones, in the, you know, and just like, let's pretend it never happened and just go on. And it's him in the 20s. And, uh, you know, Jason Brightman, uh, you've been a little you've been a little quiet. I want to get you into the action here. What are you thinking about all this? Yeah, well, I think the um, uh, Andy brings up a, a good point about being too close to the one that comes before. I think the the Superman movie, I think Superman Returns with Brandon Roth. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was yeah. too much like trying to be Christopher Reeve. Uh, and the movie was a little bit too much like an homage to the ones that had come before. And it didn't work. Yeah, he definitely was. I, I you got the sense he was cast because he was uh, the most Christopher Reeve like actor, not right. necessarily the most Superman like, just Reeve like. Of all the Christopher Reeves around, you're the Christopher Reeviest. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and you think like the the ones that I think are really successful are like the Doctor Who's or James Bond, where they don't try to. It 
they reinvent the show or the movie, mm. not just recast the character. Right. Because the the first three Doctors, those shows bear no resemblance to each other. They're completely different shows. The uh, a little bit less so in the modern era, but in the James Bond, like Daniel Craig, is a completely different Bond than all the ones that came before. Because it's the movies are of a different time, and they're not trying to be the spy drama anymore, or at least not in Casino Royale, which was his most successful. The um, the in that one, I, I forget who it was that said that you had to sort of like capture it from the very first moment. I was against Daniel Craig when he was cast because he, he didn't look like Bond. He was, you know, blonde and jacked. And uh, I was completely against it even as the movie began. Um, but by the last scene where he finally says, Bond, James Bond, I had like, he was the only Bond in my mind <laughs> yeah. Yeah. at that point. And, it was, and they sort of used the movie to transition the audience. It's all about the magic of casting. I was having a discussion at a, at the Denver Comic Con uh, on a panel once, because there are people who are, they're they're getting all they're getting all worried because there's rumors that oh my god they're they're thinking about in the new Fantastic Four reboot they're thinking about casting a black actor as as the Human Torch. We cannot have this happen. And the thing is, it's it's all about casting the right actor. If the if you cast the right actor guaranteed like three minutes after they make their first appearance you the the audience forgets all about whatever they thought this character looked like and get, getting back to the producers i also was lucky enough to see uh the producers uh during the broadway run and to me whenever i think of max max bialystok now i i think of nathan lane i don't think of you know i i, I don't think of the original actor i still think of gene wilder as <laughs> as leo because i didn't think matthew broderick really worked but again if you cast right it that, that that's 95 percent of the wow. work done zero mostel and, and uh matthew broderick are sitting on the sidelines clutching their blue blankies now <laughs> the phenomenon of uh of, of making it different enough and not trying to, to copy is is similar to just kind of in a flipped way what actors go through when you have an actor that's known for playing one particular role when they move on and leave that show or whatever it is to, to try to do something different or do something else if they pick another role that's very similar to the first role it's just like a pale carbon copy of that and I think a lot of times actors really excel when they try to change it up and go for something different and I think it works the same way with characters if you are trying to copy make you know another Christopher Reeve Superman it's 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 clearly just imitation and it's falls on its face real fast. I guess that's the genius of casting. Um, and originally he wasn't going to be Indiana Jones, but casting Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones was, it really played off of his success as Han Solo. And it was essentially the same people involved in doing it. And so um, maybe that's the exception that proves the rule, but I, I think that's true. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, you knew this guy? He was a lovable rogue. He is <laughs> a lovable rogue here again over here. <laughs> when it's, it's really weird to imagine... Uh, Tom Selleck was the first choice, yeah. and the only reason he couldn't do it was because the, they picked up the pilot for Magnum. And so, you know, when Magnum was on and that story came out, I thought, oh, well, that'd be, that'd be interesting. I don't know. And, you know, I saw High Road to China and went, I don't know. <laughs> I see what they were going for, though, right? I mean, and David, right. you, you and I are, right. are, 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 are Magnum, Magnum PI aficionados, aficionados mm -hmm. we could say. <laughs> and, and like 
Indiana Jones, like Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. Uh, Magnum, he's a, again one of those heroes who is human and gets hurt and right. is not, you know, Johnny Squarejaw, but actually is like, you get the sense that it's a lot of hard work and it sometimes is quite painful to be an adventurer. And, <laughs> and, uh, and well, I, so I get it. I get what they were going for with, with him, uh, thinking of him for that part. Cause you know, I could see him playing something like that, but you oh, know, yeah. not Harrison Ford. And in, I, I think it was like maybe the next to last episode or two episodes from the end of Magnum, they did an episode called Legend of the Lost Art. <laughs> and, and he's got the leather jacket and the fedora, and he's doing the whole Indiana Jones thing. And and when I watched that the first time, I went, no, no. I, no. This, is, this is why I think that most art actors who are smart they they don't get they don't get too upset that oh I I, I was supposed to be Marty McFly and I then they recast me and I mm-hmm. that, I could have been this legendary guy and had these three movies. Sorry, Eric Stoltz. Think, Sorry, exactly. <laughs> but that's but that I think I think the smart actor says no. This became a huge success because they put that person yeah. in that role. It might it might have been a different kind of success had I had that movie, but this is not. They could have just put anybody in that role and had Indiana Jones. Casting is huge, right? Casting there are there are TV shows and uh, in movies too, but I think about it with TV shows, especially the ones that that go on to last eight or nine years. That I look at it and say, you know sitcoms yes there are better sitcoms and there are worse sitcoms but there are also lots of sitcoms that are fine they're mediocre they're fine they're 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 funny they're good they're well written but what are the ones that last and that become huge hits and without without fail i would say it's because of the casting because they got the right actors <laughs> i watched a uh, actually watched a documentary on three's company last night and <laughs> i hadn't realized that the that the the pilot that actually aired was the third version of the pilot because they mm-hmm. they had to change actors i mean they had uh, john ritter from the very beginning but they just at first didn't did not hit it with the first two uh girls and then tried again and then finally on the third time they ended up with uh suzanne summers and Joyce DeWitt. Oh, her name's escaping. Joyce DeWitt. Yes, thank you very much. And like that was the magic, the magic key. And then when Suzanne Summers left, they tried to replace her and didn't do it right the first time, and ended up with yeah. one season and out. Um, and <laughs> and then hit on uh, the nurse after that. I think Jack Tripper also was hitting on the nurse after that. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Zing. I'm a weak man. I'm we'll a talk weak more about man. this at the Regal Beagle later. <laughs> <laughs> the the original pilot was written by Larry Gelbart who did MASH and, uh, you know, funny thing happened on the way to the forum and all these, you know, great things. And it didn't work either. And you don't see his name associated with Three's Company anywhere except in a footnote. So so it's it's that combination of, you know, I mean, pretty much John Ritter was it. And as soon as they fixed everything around him, then it kind of worked. Yeah, cast, I mean, casting is... is... Is so huge, and 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 you can see when they get it wrong, when they get it right. Well, a coupling, which we've mentioned before on this show, um, that mm. they took Stephen Moffat's scripts, which are brilliant, and coupling is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, I designed the uh, DVD packaging for that. Just throwing that out there. Oh, yes, that's right. Wow. And I have that DVD. I have that's those. Right. I have them. Yes, that was in an earlier life. Jason Brightman designed that packaging, um, and then they just took those scripts and made them in America with new people. <laughs> Some some actors of whom have gone on to have other roles and shown that they're perfectly fine actors. And it was a disaster. It was a disaster. And it wasn't that the scripts were bad. Um, it was that the, the the scripts and the people didn't go together and it failed. And, you know, in the UK, the same scripts were brilliant. 
And it wasn't the yeah. accents. It and was not the accents that were the problem. It was totally the accents. <laughs> it was a little bit the totally. accents. I, I think I think that's I think that's part of the key here. That if they were to cast a new actor as Superman, as Indiana Jones, as any any famous name, as Columbo, as any famous name you want to mention, and they tried to tell the audience that this is the exact same movie series, this is Indiana Jones Chapter Five. This happens after Crystal Skull. Try to ignore the fact that this is not Harrison Ford of the role, but this is the same story that you spent the past 20 years watching we would not buy it or at least it would be uh, it'd be inhumanly difficult thing for that movie to pull off whereas if you say that this is a brand that we're rebooting it this is a brand new series we're starting a brand new superman series we're starting a brand new star trek series with new actors there is some legacy with the old one but we're not saying that this has any sort of uh, logical through line from whatever stories or whatever scenarios were from the original. Then when you start off with a clean slate like that, I think it just prepares the audience to accept that this is going to be some things that are brand new from here on out. I mean, Doctor Who is certainly going to be is is the difference here because there they're sort of explicitly saying no, this is this the the, the Doctor regenerates, so there's going to be uh, new people. Even in James Bond, I think that. I think that most James Bond fans write a little bit of backstory, a little bit of unspecific <laughs> that says that at some point this, there's no way that James Bond that, that the 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 spy who's carrying the name James Bond is going to live forever. He's going to get killed in action. At which point they simply take his car, they take his ID, they take his, his stuff and give it to the next guy who's going to be dead in three in, in three years anyway and make him James Bond. Because so under, those are the underwear that says Bond on the back and right. just, in the opening. <laughs> In the opening scene of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, George Lazenby, uh, his Bond, hints mm-hmm. at that. He says this um, never happened to the other guy. The other guy, the other right. fellow. Yeah. This is this is why I always I always I, I like The Rock a lot more than I probably should because I always <laughs> see it as a James Bond movie. I always see it as this. This is again yeah. at, at the at the end of of Sean Connery's last like uh, uh, that that adventure ended with James Bond being thrown into jail, and of course His Majesty's Secret Service had to disavow him completely. So he's just been rotting in jail for thirty years, and we're seeing a great James Bond movie huh. with Nicolas wow. Cage as a Bond girl. That's where it falls down. <laughs> but yeah. he's not as good at that. Well, you know, Casino Royale is a good example where we're seeing Bond at the beginning, and yet it's not sort of like made to fit into some continuity. Although in the most recent uh, Bond, they they get the old Aston Martin, and it's like, oh, it's this old car, and he's like supposedly knows about it. And it's like, but it's like 2013, and there's, yeah. but the, it doesn't really <laughs> right. make any sense, but other than as a nod to the past. But I liked that it was it was the 50th anniversary. It was a homage. Yeah. Sure, we're we're starting yeah. fresh, and it's and, and and it's fine. And Batman Begins is the same way, right? There's no there's no baggage there. It's like here's Christian yeah. Bale, he's Bruce Wayne, he's going to learn to be Batman, and we're coming on that journey with him. I I can't, I can't believe we haven't mentioned. We've talked about so many 70s TV shows, which is a direction I didn't think this would go. Columbo, Three's company magnum pi i guess at 80s okay old tv shows uh we haven't talked about batman which is another thing which is not quite an original actor because there were lots of original actors like with superman and yet that's that's a case too where you have to keep rethinking the part well yeah every version of that is different i mean yeah. you had the the serials in the 40s which are uh wonderful when you watch them with the riff tracks um it and then the adam west the adam west one which is intentionally funny and then Let's see. You didn't really have. I mean, you had the cartoon version in the seventies, which was okay. Right. And then you didn't but really have Keaton. a live action Batman until Michael Keaton, who is again completely different. 
the um, at least in that case, the source material had gone through so many iterations from the 30s to the 40s to the 50s right. that it there there is so many aspects to that character that you can take all these different takes already exist in the source material. The Bob Kane Batman, the Neil Adams Batman, the John Byrne Batman, the Frank Miller Batman, the the the, the, the ground had already been laid pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. One one of the earliest examples of this is back in the 40s there was a, a series of films about a hero named the Falcon. He didn't dress as anything. He was like the saint where he was just sort of this suave debonair crime-solving guy. And he was played by George Sanders. And after a couple of movies, Sanders said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And so they they wrote a film called The Falcon's Brother. And (laughs) his brother shows up and they solve a crime together. And then Tom Conway keeps playing the Falcon. He just assumes the name from his brother. And that's the rest of the series, which, you know, that's a different way of doing it. But. It's kind of an uninspiring enough. middle uh, segment there, though. <laughs> yes. The Falcon and his brother go get a sandwich. <laughs> it sounds sad. It's so sweet. I always find the audience reaction to this very interesting. I think I think it's it's a little different when you have a show, as Andy said, like Doctor Who or or a film franchise like James Bond, where by now it's become expected. But for the at the first time, I'm. You know, people, I'm sure, freaked out. I wasn't around uh, back in the 60s, but I I have to expect that a lot of people went through the same freak out that other people are going through now, thinking about a new Indiana Jones or a new Luke Skywalker or or whatever it it might be. Uh, And I wonder if we'll get to a point down the road where people are just expecting another Luke Skywalker every 10 years (laughs) or so. I mean, not that people don't scream and yell and throw hissy fits at every single actor that's cast as the doctor in Doctor Who, but uh, they're, they're, they're screaming after the casting as opposed to beforehand. Yeah, they're not screaming about the casting, just that that it exists. <laughs> it's it's who gets cast. No, no, it's totally different now. <laughs> He's too old. He's too young. We were we were, we're, talk, we're talking online with somebody about uh, the, the the new RoboCop movie, and I, I don't have any sort of emotional attachment to RoboCop. It was a, it was a cool movie, but I'm like I'm not going to be dear Mr. Yeah. Twitter person. You're clearly <laughs> wrong in the thing. I, I, don't, I don't really care about it. So not like as not like one I'm of the internet's in foremost Robocopians, I am outraged <laughs> by your desecration <laughs> of the franchise. As the leading editor of the Robocop Wikipedia page, of which you should be aware if you purport to be the screenwriter of a Robocop movie. Do not ignore Robocop 3, the direct-to-video <laughs> sequel that has important continuity in it. You are clearly using Mark Seven <laughs> Robocop leg armor that was made after they made Peter Weller complained about itching in the lower calf area. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Buddy Epson was the original it's, RoboCop, by the way, but he was allergic to the paint. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, you broke me. Well, it, but see, it, it, that, that was that was that was Buddy Epson's make good for for losing the Tin Woodsman. Yeah, he got to be it's RoboCop. Right. They, 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 they right. gave him one. They gave him one piece of stunt day of stunt work. Also, also his 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 SAG insurance was lapsing. So if they gave him one day worth of work, he could get his insurance renewed. So that was it was a it was a nice nod to the classic uh, bits of the past. It was called Robo Sheriff back then. Uh, Admit it, you would watch it. Barnaby RoboCop. They did a rewrite, yeah. Uh, I don't. I I kind of think that RoboCop is more of a Mannix type, you know, sort of a Touch Connors <laughs> sort true. of, that's you know, true. he gets a lot uh, of houndstooth sort of uh, sort of armor pattern sort of thing. Yeah, and good good theme music. Anyway, time to take a break for another sponsor. It's Fresh Books. Are you still using Microsoft Word or Excel to create invoices? Um, I'm using Pages, which is not much better. Do you use a shoebox of receipts to keep track of your expenses? 
Boy, I'd love a shoebox. I think we're using a manila folder and it's just a pile and it's not good. Anyway, save time and get paid faster, which is what you want to do with FreshBooks. It is the easiest way to send invoices, manage your expenses, and track your time. FreshBooks is the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners, people just like you, save time billing and get paid faster. With FreshBooks, you can easily create invoices online, capture and track expenses on the go, and get real-time business reports with a few simple clicks. You can try FreshBooks for free. That's right. Sign up for free today at getfreshbooks.com. All right, now here is the delicious part FreshBooks is doing for incomparable listeners. Every day they're giving a birthday cake away to someone who signs up for a new account from this show. That's right. All you have to do is sign up, and for your chance to win, enter the incomparable in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up for a new account. It's that simple. With FreshBooks, every day could be your birthday, so go sign up at getfreshbooks.com. And thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring the incomparable. What I was about to say is that uh, it, it, it doesn't. I don't get upset about it, but it's, it's more like I wish that the, they would create a brand new iconic character for a new generation of moviegoers instead of doing something that plugs into my generation's nostalgia. I mean, we're we're in our forties now. We're probably not going to go see a move, go go to the movies to pay eleven dollars to see a, a character that we probably got sick of fifteen years ago. Why not create what? Where where, where is where is the wonderful new character that? Hollywood is going to ruin 20 years from now by <laughs> yeah. rebooting and ruining for this generation. Yeah, you can't, you can't just remake things. You also have to make new things. Although I wrote, I wrote down uh, in that email that I sent to you guys, the, uh, you know, who knows if Star Wars will do this. We're talking about they're going to do, you know, episode seven and it's going to have the original actors uh, apparently in these, in these roles. But I'm sure that unless the new Star Wars movies become, you know, gigantic cultural hits forever. I mean, I'm sure it's inevitable that they will go and remake Star Wars, right? They'll tear it well, up and well, reboot this, it and remake it, and there'll be a new. Well, it, it just the money, the money. I, I feel like it's an, almost inevitable that they will twenty years from now. It feels like the smartest thing for them to do is to cast the seventy now elderly, older like uh, older Jedi people uh, from from the original cast. So now again, the middle, the people in their 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 forties and their fifties and their sixties are wow, great. We get to see Harrison Ford as Han Solo again, but also have make most of the movie about brand new characters because. It, it shocks us to say this, but people who are like in their teens and early twenties, they don't have the same connection to Luke Skywalker yeah, that, that that we they have. The Clone and Wars. I'm just I'm just saying yeah, there's a difference. They're extending it now, and they're, they're going to do that. But I just feel like it's inevitable that eventually they're going to be like, yeah, let's just go back to the like with the like with Star Trek. They'll they'll say let's go back to that original and tell that story again. The first one was really good. Let's use that. And Chris Pine can be Obi Wan Kenobi because he'll be old enough by then. <laughs> Yeah. I really like the Clone Wars series. And that was stuff that had absolutely no nostalgia factor for me at all. And that that's where I see that. I, I love the fact that, for instance, that in the Star Wars universe, that there is a Star Wars for pretty much every generation out there that has very little contact with, it's part of the same shared universe, but it has very little contact with the Star Wars of the 70s and 80s or the Star Wars of the 90s or the Star Wars of the, of the, of the first decade of the 21st century. That's how you keep a franchise alive, not by always replaying the the first three scripts, but by finding a way to just expand the territory and find new ground. I agree with you. I just I, I'm so cynical about the uh, way that Hollywood <laughs> does remakes things shamelessly. That podcasting I, yeah. has made me dark and withered. <laughs> 
I've turned my back on hope and love. I say each James Bond movie, aside from the kind of the Daniel Craig stuff, was kind of the same. And that was sort of comforting. And, and you know, I went, I went and saw them with my dad when I was a kid. And, you know, I'm gonna, as my kid gets older, I'm going to take him to see James Bond stuff. And you, it's, you know, he's always going to end up in the, the, the life preserver with the girl at the end of the movie. <laughs> yes, you with know, the, it, the unlikely button that he presses that summons the yacht. Right. <laughs> and that, that I don't necessarily think they do need to remake something for every generation. There's like subtle shifts uh, to make it more kind of contextually relevant, I guess. But the, the heart, like all of my fears about remakes went away with um, Star Trek. And I never thought like anybody but William Shatner would be Kirk. And, mm. and you know, I have no problem believing Chris Pine is Kirk. Yeah, Chris, they, they yeah, did, I, a, I mean, that. casting. They did a good job casting. casting. yeah. And, yeah. and uh, that, that works a lot. And I, I agree with you. I think it's funny, the, the fear of it. And yeah, and there's also that fandom fear of just like, oh no, sacrilege, sacrilege. Right. But good actors and good scripts and fun. And, and with Star Trek, we mentioned this, I think, on a previous episode. One of, one of the problems with Star Trek is there was such a length of time before between when they finished the show and when they started doing the movies that all those movies ended up being about the original crew getting older and dealing with mortality when, in fact, the thing that people loved about the original series was that they were young and having adventures and they never never got to do that in the movies and so by rebooting star trek and casting young actors they're like hey we get to do that now we get to have movies that are not about kirk breaking his glasses because he is very (laughs) old and can't see very well and that's good that's 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 uh that's nice but it did require going over that line and as a as an original star trek fan from when i was you know before i can even remember that was Mm. a that was a big thing like okay how's this gonna go is this is this gonna be okay and and now we're in a different world where i feel like of course these are iconic characters i i would you know i went to trek in the park in portland uh this summer which is they do a star trek episode in the park on a stage in front of several thousand people every sunday during the summer they did it for five years and uh and i was primed for it having already seen you know the jj abrams reboot but it was that moment of like these are great characters and it's uh, and the scripts are funny and it doesn't matter that these are sort of random actors playing these parts because I know these parts. I know that Scotty is going to get into a fight on the Klingon space station because they insult the Enterprise. And it it wasn't James Dewan and it wasn't Simon Pegg. And it didn't matter because, uh, you know, because it was Scotty. And I know who Scotty is. And and it's funny to come that way from from it only being one actor for the first 40 years of that character's existence. Yeah. And I mean, even Shakespeare, his plays were mostly remakes and things cobbled together from other stories that people probably already knew at the time so they were familiar with with who hamlet was you know he added his own spin on it but you know the the Hmm. ideas were already there so what you're saying is that you're a better playwright than he was because your radio dramas are original. Oh, yes. Say it, at least have the courage to say it. That's all I'm saying. Good, good. We all feel better now. Hey, at least I changed the names. Yeah, you changed the That's exactly That's, that's right. all you have to do. Change the names. Nobody's going to know. <laughs> One thing that I think so, makes it a little easier to swallow is when or I guess it's more that it, on the flip side, it makes it harder to swallow when I feel like they are either rebooting or recasting somebody just to sort of make a, a quick buck and appeal to the the crowd. Um, whereas when it's something that I, I feel like the creators really, truly loved 
what came before and are are trying to to remake it for a new audience to to share that love as opposed to rake in the bucks uh, that helps which is why i think doctor who has been so successful because both russell russell t davis right. and stephen moffat were huge huge fans of the show i mean they're probably some of the biggest fanboys in the entire world and i think that they put their heart and soul into the show and that and that shows whereas i don't know maybe i'm completely wrong about the robocop thing but from everything that like that i keep seeing and hearing i i feel like it's more of a cash grab Oh yeah, yeah. Hollywood cash grab? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't say. So so much of greenlighting movie is marketing now. It's like, how do you sell this movie? And if you can say, well, it existed before. Yeah, exactly. You know Star Trek? Yes. Yeah. There you go. So does everybody else. Eighty million dollars, please. <laughs> Write this man a check. I love this man. Franchises are their own. You know, are are problematic in their in their own way. When I was thinking about this, I'm I'm, I'm thinking this is fundamentally a topic about. Uh, things that are not singular works of art, but are uh, artful though they may be, they are now product lines. And uh, what you're doing is you're changing, almost like changing the spokesman for your for your product line. What will we do without the Aflac duck? We'll get a new Aflac <laughs> duck. That's what we're going to do, and nobody will notice right. the difference. Um, but but this is this is what this is. And so there there's uh, you know, corporate calculations happening too when you change an actor. Um, that I don't know. It's um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, it's just, but it's, it's good that we're not abandoning a a really good character just because you know the actor has aged out of the system, so to speak. I mean, what wouldn't it be yes. horrible if if we? Uh, how many different interpretations have there been of, of of Sherlock Holmes at this point, and how many can you say have been truly great? You can probably come up with at least four truly great there are sherlock a lot Holmeses. of great sherlock yeah. Holmeses. yeah yeah and so you, yeah, I, I would i hate to i, I it's it's hard it's hard to think of anybody but francis mcdormand playing the part of chief marge in fargo but i have to admit that one of the things i really really want to see is this is too great a character to never ever have any new stories about her so i'm really curious to see what this new series is going to be about because i want to see more chief marge mm-hmm. i say so how come if a lot of this recasting is about actors aging out of parts, why have we never? Re- I can't think of a single example of where they've recast kids to keep sort of the kids in a show at the same age. Huh? Oh, yeah, they do it on soap operas all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they they did that on Bewitched. There were several different Tabithas before before she actually, they decided to let her be a, a child. I think with child actors, it's a lot harder mm. because it's so hard to find a good child actor in the first yeah. place. And the the field is fairly limited. So trying to find somebody else who's going to be able to play the part, who's going to be able to play, period. Um, I, I think it's probably just not worth the while of the uh, creators of the shows and films. But you do end up with that problem where the where the kids are getting older, and if the if the premise is that every year is a year, then it's not a problem. If the premise is like uh, I was noticing that with Carl on The Walking Dead, that um, you know they they, I mean he's getting he's growing up, and I guess they can say well Carl's growing up in this hard environment where there's zombies everywhere. He's growing up, but it's also he's growing. You know he's getting older faster than time is passing on the show because they don't. It's not a one to one thing. Or the best example there is. Is Walt on Lost, where it's like just gonna say we gotta Walt, we gotta take Walt away because that that kid that kid grew like two feet in a year. And well, also also look at look at yeah. look at Happy Days, like where the first year you already had actors who were probably about they're they're uh, 22, 23 years old playing 16, 17 oh, yeah. years old. By yeah. the end, it's like 
Hey, Potsy, we got, we're about to graduate from college. Yeah, I can't make it because <laughs> my, 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 I, I got to pick up my kid from the orthodontist. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, that's the uh, 90210 problem, right? Which, which is that you, you, can cast, you can cast a 25-year-old as 20 or 18 and maybe get away with it. They're a youthful 25. But the problem is then the show lasts seven or eight years. This was, uh, you know, Buffy is my favorite show. But the fact is those guys were more plausibly 16 than they were plausibly twenty-two. Well, that's a, that's that's just skilled writing. What you do is you establish that they they were became very very heavy smokers around the third season. <laughs> that's right. Very genius. Unhealthy lives and aged. I should better. really give these things up. I, I hardly even recognize myself anymore. There'd just be a magic spell that happens, and they all seem older than they actually are. Now, see, I know you don't want to talk about Darren Stevens, but. Go ahead. We already talked about Columbo 3's company and Magnum P.I. Go ahead and talk about Bewitched. Go ahead. The thing that bothered me as a child watching the show, because, you know, it was on every day, right? And all of a sudden, one day there's Dick York. The next day, boom, it's Dick Sargent. Now, I'm like, what, five or six? And I'm trying to figure out, okay, Andorra's already turned him into a cow, a horse, a duck, a donkey, why doesn't she just turn him back to the way he looked? Did Samantha suddenly decide she really liked this tall, skinny guy better? I don't know. Why does nobody notice and that it's a different yes, Darren? Surely yes, Larry Tate and it would never notice. Made sense. And it's like, here is a show where you could actually legitimately have that excuse. Oh, now you got a facelift like that. Magic. <laughs> I think it's just an example of how a lot of people always do the Samantha Stevens versus I Dream of Jeannie, who's more powerful. It's clearly Samantha Stevens because she decided she wanted oh, yes. a different husband and she went out and got it. And she's powerful enough to make everybody else not notice. Grabbed a drifter. <laughs> Erased his existence. Those, those actors were very different. I mean, that's the thing that gets me. Is I mean, I don't agree with her personal taste in men. I at all but <laughs> to each her own on the other hand you you do like the fact that at some point the producers say look it's just a tv show we can do stuff yeah. if we have to do stuff like when like when uh, uh harry morgan uh was cast as colonel potter on mash that if, if this were if this were like an inter- internet-based casting they'd say no we he can't i know he's great for the part he'd be perfect he'd totally revitalize the series but he's already been established as the guy who plays major uh. general bartford hamilton Steele in the episode the general flipped at dawn <laughs> you, you it will blow people's minds if he shows up again no no what will happen right. is that maybe four people will remember him from three seasons ago and they'll probably be cool with it because they're fans of the show if they were picky about that in doctor who they would have like 50 percent less cast yeah. in all of the classic series <laughs> oh god yeah philip maddock would have been oh, out of a job right two two right. doctors and at least a couple companions have been on in different characters before they ended up as the as the main one although in doctor who you mm-hmm. could always say like well they like that person filed it away for later like hey maybe i'll be that person later i'll regenerate into that guy who is that? Who is that actor on uh, on Babylon Five that Jay Michael Straczynski? This Jay Michael Straczynski just liked him so much that he just kept casting him oh, and recasting that's him. Wayne. And, oh, it's the guy who was the Inquisitor, remember, and then he brought him Alexander? back as Lorian. Wayne Alexander. Oh. And like, yeah, and, and he was like, a he, he was a Narn or something too. He, yeah, he kept putting him back under makeup after under he was Jack the Ripper. They the first just one. like working with him so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's he, like Jeffrey Combs on on like Deep Space Nine and Enterprise right. and. I think he was at, was he on Voyager at some point? He might have Yeah, been. he was. Yeah. So the, the one TV show growing up that really bothered me when they changed the cast was Dukes of Hazard. Oh, God, yes. Identical cousins. They look just like them. Suddenly the blonde is wearing the blue shirt and the brunette is wearing the yellow shirt. That yeah. was it. 
And it was we gave our cousins our car <laughs> that we and, loved. And our lives, for, apparently. Right. Yes. So we can go off and race in NASCAR. Yeah, we'll be back after our contract is settled. <laughs> yeah, it, it really seemed they couldn't tell if they wanted to recast the roles or bring in different characters. So they tried to do both. Yeah, but they weren't that different, right? Let's, let's, right. let's I mean, keep them as the... similar as we can. Yeah, well, you know, soap operas always do it where they just say the part of so-and-so is now being played very much like in the theater with an understudy. They just replace <laughs> yeah. the part and just say, eh. yeah. Or or they get blown up and they have bandages on their face for a week and then they undo the bandages <laughs> like, oh, it's a new actor. You look different. To, to send a message to the rest of the cast during contract negotiations, we've arbitrarily fired the actor playing Clint Darkthrob. Or sometimes it really is an understudy because a, a cast member gets sick and when you're shooting every day. So you get some, I, I remember when I would watch soap operas when I was homesick as a kid and I would just be so confused because I'd tune in after the so-and-so was being played by so-and-so uh. and I would be really confused. And then the next week it would be back to the same person and I would be even more confused. I was very upset when, when Robin Brady became John Black on Days of Our Lives because <gasps> that is too. totally not the same guy. <laughs> totally not the same guy. And then it turned so out, wrong. of course, there was a plot twist later and it wasn't the same guy. Oh, you right. got it. We tricked you. Of course it was a different actor. You should have known that all along. Oh, soap operas, they're the worst. Well, it's like we, <laughs> we were watching Iron Chef all afternoon because the kids suddenly went, hey, this is really cool. And there's one episode that we saw where the chairman is so heartsick over the losing streak of the Iron Chefs that he's boycotting this battle. And oh, Dr. Yes. Yukio Hattori is the acting chairman. And and I happen to know from reading the Iron Chef book, shut up. I have that... it in my bookshelf. I have that in okay. my bookshelf. Where have you been all my life? Anyway, <laughs> um, but he, he was the actor himself was on tour uh, in the Japanese version of Les Mis. At Les the Mis. He's on the world, uh, the world soundtrack where it's different people in Les Mis from all over the world. He's one yeah. of the uh, one of the people on that. He's representing Japan. It's the chairman. chairman I Kaga. have learned yeah. so much tonight, you guys. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it makes me mad that Iron Chef USA has the guy who's supposedly like the nephew of of the chairman. He is not the chairman. Yeah, but, he's a kickboxer. But he's also unacceptable. But see, he's also woe fat on the new Hawaii Five O. <laughs> so now the chairman of Iron Chef America. It's a whole evil conspiracy. It's mm. brilliant. Wow, so. that means that you know that now the chairman has a carry permit. <laughs> ah, how how does that influence your thinking about what's going on inside the <laughs> inside Kitchen Stadium now? This this has gone in directions that I never expected, and yet you know I should expect that from this podcast by now, just not where we go. Which is I I I, I it used to amuse when when uh, when Ninja Warrior started airing on the G4 network. I always decided that I'm going to start believing that this is how they cho- they they train and choose the palace guards for Kitchen Stadium. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Just a unified collection of continuity. Time for another sponsor break, and this is a returning sponsor. It's Lynda.com again. If you have not heard already, pay attention. I've been trying to tell you about Lynda.com for a while now. Lynda.com is a site with incredible high quality video courses. This is not some dude with a camcorder in his basement telling you how to do blurs in Photoshop. These are the experts and they're telling you things from the most in-depth super pro topic to really high level stuff like photography 101. So it runs the gamut in terms of difficulty level. They're experts in the field. And then lynda.com works their magic where they've got this great website full of videos. There's text that goes along with it so you can read along. There's supplemental materials. It's really amazing. It is a great 
online education website. There's more than 2,000 high-quality courses available on lynda.com. Unlimited access, as many courses as you want to take. So I've been taking some lynda.com courses as I go. Like I've been saying, I need to learn a lot more about audio editing. Uh, I want to get better at, and faster at audio editing for this podcast. But there's lots of other stuff, too. I want to learn more about web development. My skills there are really rusty. They have HTML, JavaScript, CSS courses, Dreamweaver, WordPress. You name it, they've got it. They've got the entire Microsoft Office suite with a lot of details. They've got the Adobe Creative Suite. They've got the operating systems. They've got Mac OS X. They've got Windows 8.1. They've got Unix stuff. They've got all the iLife apps. They've got game development, 3D modeling, business skills, hobbies like photography and videography. Really, if you can think about a technical topic that you want to learn, you can learn it at lynda.com. It's that simple. So here's what you get. You get unlimited access when you sign up for lynda.com. You can learn what you want, when you want. They've got the whole course library available. There aren't different tiers of access. Everything is open when you're a subscriber. They're adding new courses all the time. The experts are the people teaching these courses. Like I said, not a dude with a camcorder in his basement, an expert in lynda.com's state-of-the-art studios. They look great, and the course material themselves is all very carefully structured so you can learn from start to finish or jump around as you see fit. So it's a very web-focused sort of thing. You're not watching a video for two hours. There are lots of options based on following your interests. So I really can't say enough good things about lynda.com. But I have one more good thing that I want to say about them, which is there's a special deal for listeners of The Incomparable. And here is the URL you need to know. lynda.com slash incomparable. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash incomparable. What that gets you is a free trial of lynda.com. And by free, I don't mean access to a couple videos. Free trial means access to the entire library for the entire length of your free trial. So that's what you want to do. lynda.com slash incomparable, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash incomparable. Start learning today with high quality courses from the experts. And thanks once again to lynda.com for teaching me things and for sponsoring The Incomparable. Speaking of reboots, the guys who were involved in rebooting the Star Trek movie were behind the new Hawaii Five-O series, which isn't bad because well, they you know because in a grand tradition it's like hey we've got a production facility in hawaii we need a show here and they were the guys who did lost that's, too so that's right plus what's more popular with the kids today than hawaii 50 i would ne- you know i'll never accept <laughs> yeah. a new mcgarrett it's it's it's, yeah. it's like jack you know jack lord cosplayer is a comic-con you can't even get through the <laughs> through the conference before without another jake jack lord cosplayer well i was amused that the only thing that they've really kept from the series they actually went back and used the right orchestration for the theme music. So the theme music sounds great. The rest of the show, totally different. It's like, all right. Same character names. and You, you knew what was important. That's about it. It was the song. Yes. Yeah. This is true. But Breasts Were to Three's Company, the theme song was to Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> That's right. Larry. Larry, I'm telling you. Larry. He was a key, he was a key, <laughs> key piece. The he, he, also, he also had a nice rack. <laughs> Certainly in the later seasons, yeah. Oh, Larry. Mr. Well, actually, there's in Three's Company. I can't believe I'm even bringing Three's Company up again. But they, <laughs> they did, you know, they did replace the Ropers with Mr. Furley. That was an well, upgrade. They, they spun them off. That was an well, upgrade. Yeah. Yes. I agree. Don Knotts. Over Nor- Sorry, Norman Fell.
Sorry, the estate of Norman Fell. Don Knotts. I respect, I respect your work. I, I respect what you did to launch this series. But the, much, much like the, 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 just much like the Saturn IV rocket, whose only job it was to send those astronauts on their way to the moon, your sole role in Three's Company was to make sure the show was in good shape when Don Knotts was ready to land. Wow. This is your, if you tuned in late, this is the Three's <laughs> Company episode of... <laughs> I take full responsibility for this, so you can send your hate mail to me. It wasn't going to be this way, but there was a misunderstanding at the beginning that really should have been cleared up, <laughs> yeah. and yet nobody asked any questions, and we just ended up here. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> so b- before we go, I wanted to you know c- circle back around to this idea of, of how you replenish, how you... How you go in a different direction with the franchise and it seems like we've got a couple good examples here we've got one where you take the change and change uh and embrace it and you embrace the change in your franchise and i think james bond is a good example of this when and and in a way that doctor who is too which is you change the actor you change the show the show is different uh you don't worry too much and doctor who there's more continuity but really you don't worry too much about um being like the last guy and like the last one and the 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 feeling of those uh james bond movies is very different from from actor to actor and then the other way you go is to say you know there's this core character and this character is who who they are and we're going to be faithful to them which is definitely more of what uh the jj abrams star trek movies have done which is say you know we're not gonna rethink captain kirk and make him different in some way we're going to do captain kirk we're not going to do a shatner impression but we're going to do captain kirk uh which so which way does indiana jones go to get back to my original premise here is this is this something where they just keep on going and drop a new actor in in the 30s or the 50s or the 60s or wherever they want and have him have more adventures or do they say i want somebody who is basically going to continue doing the things that that uh, Harrison Ford did not an impression, but do do it like Harrison Ford. Which way do you go with with something like Indiana Jones? If you're the producers, I would have gone. Uh, the the thing that disappointed me about Chris, the thing that the one thing that <laughs> that disappointed me about about Crystal Skull <laughs> was partly thing. that it's the it's, monkeys. It's, it's, it was it the monkeys? Yeah, exactly. There's the, the one thing I'm cho- I'm going to choose to do for this podcast, given that you signaled that we're ne- nearly end of this, <laughs> and we and I only have another I only have another 130 gigabytes worth of storage on this computer that I'm recording this on. Uh, it just it just seemed like you, they could have done such a cool story by establish essentially now uh, d- do the same attitude as they did with the first movie only now Doctor Doctor Henry Jones is now in the Marcus Brody role he's the guy who is sort of like advising the young brash archaeologist saying you the the audience knows that dot, this this seventy year old like head of the head of the department honey. I have been there. I have done that. I have been, I have seen Nazis face melted, melting. I have I have saved uh, 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 Indian villages. All this supernatural crap that you think doesn't exist really does exist. And oh boy, do you not know what you're getting into? And it'd be wonderful to see that go full circle now that he doesn't have the he, he no longer has the ability really physically to do the sort of stuff that he needs to do as a, as a field archaeologist. And again, that's a great way to establish the continuity to sort of hand off the role to a younger actor who is now 30 years old or in the late 20s or let's say a newly minted Ph.D. Uh, in the in the 1950s or the 1960s, and then take it off that way. That's the way that I would like to do it. I I do think that you have to, if you really want to extend the life of a franchise, you give it new life. You 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 
that's why human existence is not about life extension for any one of us. It's for creating children that, that, can, go, that can then go on and take what we've done and take it another 10 yards further. So that's what I would do if I were, had to continue the, the Indiana Jones franchise. New character, but some continuity with the old. Which is theor- theoretically what they're doing with Star Wars Episode Seven, although there's some reports that they may be doing that a little less than we thought. But that's the idea there is they're they're doing Episode Seven and they're going to introduce new characters and they're going to be the children of or you know thereabouts of the characters we know. But they're not going to go back and make new versions of the characters we know. So I would argue I would do exactly the opposite All right. for the the same reasons, but for the same reasons because like huh. yes, real life there's mortality and your kids replace you and new generation and all that kind of stuff. So who wants to be reminded of that in their fiction? Because I think if you go that way, yeah, you have a new character you've handed off to, but it's not Indiana Jones. But don't, but don't you want to see what the end of Indiana Jones' story is like? Didn't it please you a little bit to find out that he wound up with Marion Ravenwood at the end of this? It's no. just when when you say that we're gonna, we're going to sort of abandon we're not it's yeah you know, I'm I'm different I, I I would like to I would like to see what happens well I a little think bit I, later I think on. there is a, there there's definitely there should be that episode of what is the end you know the the um when Roger Moore or Sean Connery came back for Never Say Never Again and he was kind of this old Bond who um couldn't do anything more and you got to sense like okay he's going to go and retire and that's the end of him and that's you you want an end to the legend but you only want to see that once and then you want to go back to like let me see their adventures when they were young again yeah so why spider-man goes back to high school all the time so do you do i mean i mean it would be a cute idea to have indiana jones in his 20s back in you know back in time in the in the 20s or 30s you can change the timeline if you want to and then have and then have harrison ford play marcus brody or play his father and but he's not indiana jones anymore but so those that's two two ways to go right you 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 set it back in time or to andy's point you don't recast the part and you just kind of pass it off to the next generation except the problem there is andy i think all of us would like to see indiana jones back in the 30s and 40s and you can't do that without saying it's a new you know it's a new story with new actors but you can't have that again Again, you can't you you can't you can't keep reliving. It's you, you see these people walking down the street, and they're they're like in their forties and their fifties, and they're still wearing like they're they're dressing they're they're wearing cut off shorts and flip flops and old ratty t shirts because that's the way they dress when they were twenty two years old, and they feel that's the best part of their lives, and they just want to be locked into that same temporal loop over and over again. You can't live your life that way. You have to move forward, forward, forward. It's shameful to simply say that this this character, as I was first introduced to it is the only valid way of expressing this character. Well, but but see, here's the thing. With Star Wars and Star Trek, you have a larger universe. It's more than just one character. Whereas with Raiders of the Lost Ark and all, it's Indiana Jones. And he, I mean, he is what it is. It's not that there are all these supernatural adventures. It's not that there's this archaeology adventuring thing. It's Indiana Jones himself, like Sherlock Holmes, like the pulp characters that inspired indiana jones i mean there's no continuity over hundreds of shadow stories and you know it's it's okay to recast him i think because i'm interested in him i don't care about his world and then if if he's adventuring in the 70s in the cold war right then it then you 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 both sort of get what you want right and Uh, you can have those adventures and you know it's sort of like michael shaban did a, a sherlock holmes novel where he's elderly and retired and beekeeping in Sussex Downs, and he, he still ends up solving a mystery. And, and you can still have those 
sort of offshoots and those stories where you see his ending or you see close to his ending or, you know, the Laurie King novels where Sherlock Holmes is married to a beekeeper. Um, I think she's a beekeeper. Um, What's with the bees? Beekeeping is, beekeeping is an allegory for something here, isn't it? Huh. Even it the doctor really mentioned is. beekeeping it a couple blanking. of times. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you can still have Cumberbatch as Sherlock. You can still have Johnny Lee Miller as Sherlock. And it's still, you still have Jeremy Brett as Sherlock. And you still have Basil Rathbone. And they're all different. And they're all still Sherlock Holmes. They're still recognizably that character. And I think that's okay. Star Wars, I don't want another Luke Skywalker. I agree, I agree. I want more stories in that universe. Yes, I agree. Me too. I agree. Yeah, getting back to your original question, just for Indiana Jones in the short term, to go either sort of the the James Bond route or the uh, J.J. Abrams route, I think for me personally, I would rather see sort of the J.J. Abrams, which is just sort of re- playing the character with a slightly different take on it. Um, but I could see down the road or perhaps the younger generation being more just fine with something almost completely different in the, the James Bond vein. I have enough emotional attachment to the character that I think it would be hard for me to watch somebody do something that was very different with it. Um, but I do think that eventually that could work kind of like somebody who is really wrapped up with William Hartnell as the first doctor um, may have balked at the idea of this, you know, funny little guy with a recorder, you know, waddling around the TARDIS and eventually he did win them over. But so I would, I would be reasonable and wait and and see, but I think I would rather see something more similar. Well, and, and one of my favorite examples, which I just remembered now, the movie Maverick, which was a, you know, a remake of the James Garner Western from the Mm -hmm. fifties and sixties where Mel Gibson is Brett Maverick and Jim Garner is this lawman who's after him. And you think, well, that's cute because James Garner and okay, great. And then, spoiler horn. It turns out that he's actually Brett Maverick in disguise and Mel Gibson is Brett Maverick Jr. And you go, all right, all right, that worked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So so, uh, the Indiana Jones... Uh, question i i think i that i think erica that was a really interesting answer the the um continuity plays into it a little bit for me where i feel like one of the one of the beauties of having a different actor is that you get to ignore uh, unless it's doctor who and it's sort of like it actually happened we wa- we watched it happen with mm-hmm. james bond it's like you don't have to say aha uh-huh. you know you can't say that this has never happened before in the english agent office because in a previous movie it happened because it's they're not you know right it's like don't worry about that so if you read it indiana jones you would you wouldn't have to say well you know you can't have him uh, meet Marion and uh, you know and and have this outcome because we learned in Raiders of the Lost Ark that this is the timeline and this is when they met and this is then then they uh, you know they separated and he didn't see her again until Raiders of the Lost Ark and the beauty of of uh, of changing that story and changing the part is that you could say you know we're gonna not whether we retell those stories or not we're not going to worry about uh, those stories and let them preclude us from telling the stories we want to tell because that's one of the worst things about continuity. I love continuity as somebody who reads a lot of comic books and 
and sci-fi and all, uh, all sorts of things like that. I love continuity, and yet I also hate continuity. And the reason I hate continuity is because continuity sometimes gets in the way of telling a good story. And that's the beauty of recasting a part is that you're breaking, you have the opportunity to break some continuity and say, look, I just want to tell some stories with this great character, and I don't really care about the backstory. I care about the character and good stories. So that's right. that, that would be well, where yeah. I would go to. I like the shadow on the radio which was concurrent with the pulp magazines of the shadow on the radio. He was Lamont Cranston. That was his, that's who he really was. And in the books, in the, in the pulp magazines, he was really Kent Allard and Lamont Cranston was just another person whose identity he would take sometimes when Lamont Cranston was off on some other part of the world. And he had all these other identities that he took and he would occasionally make jokes about the radio version of him. And, uh, but then the radio version overtook that because that's what everyone remembers. And somewhere along the line, about 10 years into the magazine, all of a sudden Margot Lane, who was only on the radio show is suddenly his uh-huh. faithful companion and the only person who knows who he really is. And, and then the readers were upset. They, they said, no, 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 no. She's from the radio show. That's not right. You know, and there, so they had to a, write, you know, a, there's a dropped uh, joke in, uh, the 50th anniversary of Dr. Who that was a shot of the uh, the posters, yes, from the yes. from the sixties Doctor Who movies, and mm-hmm. Peter Cushing starring Peter Cushing, and the the, <laughs> the joke was going to be, uh, and this is baffling too that they couldn't get they, they were gonna, it was going to cost too much to show them on camera. It's like come on, BBC mm-hmm. like surely the license, I guess. But uh, the joke was going to be that that was actually in continuity, and some uh, companion we never met squealed about the doctor's adventures and wrote a like wrote a screenplay or wrote a, a tell-all book that became these movies and so that in the in doctor who's world uh the peter cushing movies were going to be real <laughs> and just sort of like not accurate depictions of what was really going on which would be a funny little way to i not, so tip, wish that that could have happened that. yeah that's a good that, joke that's why I, I like I I, I like uh, I, I like when when a creator or an editor of, of a comic book at some point they f- reflect on the fact that look it's just fiction yeah we don't have to just mm-hmm. like uh, the the line in uh, uh, Monsters University uh, there's a line in Monsters Incorporated where you know where uh, uh, <laughs> where, where uh, Sully and uh, uh, and Mike like supposedly met in fourth grade and but they can't have the monster they want to have the meet in college instead for that that's the plot of monsters university and they went through all of these different permuta really heavy lifting of trying to justify that one line including well we you we, we you, you've been saying that to me since we were in fourth grade well that's just like slang in monsters world that's all <laughs> and, and but at, at some point like after during story meeting they said look I'm, I'm God. Thank God bless you for doing all this work to try to just make this all make sense for Monsters Incorporated. But it's okay if we just simply pretend that line never happened. Yeah. It's the easiest answer, and that's what it. we're going to do. They they met at on a field trip in fourth grade and realized it later when they looked at the pictures. But we're not going to mention that in the movie <laughs> because who cares? Yeah. <laughs> right. This is not a documentary about how they met about about that. Line. Yeah, there's a comic a... book fan out there whose head has just exploded. What do you mean continuity is the tapestry <laughs> that holds the whole thing together? And yeah, well, you know, like I said, it's fun, um, but the good stories are are better. Doctor and, Who's been stomping on its own continuity for 50 years now, so yeah, I'm yeah. fine with it. It's a tradition, really. Oh yeah, right. Anything else before we we're we're uh, we're rapidly running or have run out of time anything else that you guys want to talk about before we go you should talk about it now 
I, I picture Phil Michaels sitting there going, Gunsmoke! Mention Gunsmoke! Because it, it was originally a radio show. And when it became a hit, CBS said, ah, oh, let's take it to this new medium television. But um, part of the reason it was a hit was because of the cast. And the, the star of the show, Matt Dillon, was, was William Conrad. And they took one look at him and said, <laughs> this is not there is no way in, you know. An enormous fat marshal. <laughs> yes. And, That's and, TV's I mean, The Fat Man. <laughs> right, right. And and they tried to get John Wayne, and John Wayne said, nah, I'm not doing television. And so they finally found James Arness, and they, they, they reconfigured the character a little bit. He's much more, I mean, the TV show is fun. I prefer the radio version. Um, but... But Conrad was shattered for a couple of years and just went into directing until um, until Canon. I think it was Quinn Martin Productions said, hey, let's let's get that guy We're back in old TV. He's got now. a great voice. All right. Well, I feel like we have done uh, this this uh, thing that flittered flitted through the transom of my mind at one point, And I said that should be an episode. I think we've done it justice. So it was fun joining in your delusional thinking, Jason. Thank you, Andy mm-hmm. Anatko. I Again. appreciate you being a part of this adventure slash delusion. David Lore, thank you for uh, deluding or adventuring with me too. Uh, I I can only say vice versa. My goodness. But we're replacing you in the next episode with a different actor. <laughs> Sorry. Eglath lives. Yeah. That's your, no, you are not Dan Morin. <laughs> no. It's not how this works. Erica Ensign, thank you for being back. Thank, thank you very much for having me. I can't wait to see who plays me in the next episode. Yeah, well, you'll never know. It's going to be John Syracuse, <laughs> that's just who it's going to be. <laughs> you you can't say heh 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 like that. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Brightman, thank you. for. Th- it's great to have you back on. We should have you back it on is. more often. Let's start comic, comic thing. Yeah. yeah, we should do that. All right, and uh, for everybody out there, uh, I, I will be recast and my part will be played by Lex Friedman next week. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening to Being Comfortable. We'll see you.